Where's Zeph? Bastian, where's Zeph? Is he with our parents? Yes. He's with them, but... He didn't make it. He was killed with them the day you were taken. I'm sorry. Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast. I'm Sarah Iftdecker. And I'm Oliver Brady. And in this podcast, we watch movies, TV shows, and we read books that depict the medieval world. We look at both historical fiction and medieval-esque fantasy, and we talk about what to get right, what to get wrong, and what to tell us about how modern people think about the medieval past. Sarah, I know deep down that I am one of the foremost experts in medieval history anywhere in the world. Are you? Because I am a white man, and therefore I know everything. White men are experts in everything. We are experts in everything. It is true. What are your qualifications for doing this podcast, Missy? Well, my correct title is doctor. (laughs) Please don't don't hit me. I can't hit you. You're all the way in Ireland. Uh, first of all, my correct title is doctor, and that is because I have a PhD in medieval history. Um, man, women sure are getting their titles omitted a lot these days. Yeah, it does happen a lot. But a lot of uh, I've seen it a lot in America, where people just kind of forget that people have the word doctor put in front of their name when they qualify with a PhD. Yeah, sometimes like <sighs> a man might be called Judge so and so, and then a woman who has a PhD is called Ms. or Mrs. So and so. Hmm. Yeah, it happens. But let's not get too political because I don't want to be angry. And also, I don't want to get crushed by uh, by yourself, uh, Dr. Decker. Um, doctor, I'm going to call you Dr. <laughs> doctor. Um, when you are uh, when you are teaching medieval history, what are the main things that people tend to get wrong or your students tend to get wrong? Apart from not giving you the right honorific. They... This semester, they've been really good about giving me my correct title, although there have been other semesters when they have not been. Um, But I will say when they're looking at the Middle Ages, they often tend to assume that the Middle Ages was a period of basically never-ending violence. In particular, they tend to assume never-ending religious violence, which is something that's been coming up a lot in my classes over the last few weeks because I've been talking about uh, Jewish, Christian, and Muslim interactions in medieval Spain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they also tend to assume the women... most violent of interactions. No, they're usually not. Usually, they're friends. Well, they're not really friends, but they're not friends. But they coexist in a calm way without killing each other. Well, I'll have to see a movie that tells me about this because I'm not sure if that's true. It's usually true, except for those Christians are difficult. And it's the, the, the Christians. The Christians are always the problem. Uh, remind me, the uh, the martyrs of Cordoba basically just, you know, they weren't okay with how everybody was getting along. And they're like, we're just going to stand in a public square in a Muslim-ruled country and yell about how Muhammad sucks. And yep. then they got killed. 
there's three things I know <laughs> about the medieval past, and these are 100% true. Number one, prima nocta was a thing. Nope. Number two, if you were a peasant, you were likely to get killed in a very violent way. And number three... Your life would suck, but it would potentially be long. Dr. Sarah If. Decker will find some way to throw shade in the direction of the martyrs of Cordoba. She hates those people. I'm not sure why. They, they are martyrs for a reason. They're mar- yeah, the reason that they decided they wanted to become martyrs. That's not how martyrdom works. That is exactly how martyrdom works. <laughs> they, they died to save us all. But that's not uh-huh. what this movie's about. It's in not. Fact, what movie are we doing today? So today we are doing a movie that really puts the esque in medieval-esque fantasy. And <laughs> <laughs> that movie is 2007's In the Name of the King. Would this be directed by uh, Uwe Ball? Oh, thank God. I was hoping he would pronounce his name so I wouldn't have to. Yeah, Uwe Ball, who um, may be the worst director in the history of movies. Based on this movie, I would definitely agree with that. What else has he directed? I feel like I must have seen something else he's directed, and I'm not sure what. He directed Blood Rain. He directed... Let me see. Basically, if you can think of a terrible, terrible game to movie adaptation mm. that's what he is and that's what this is because this it is, is on dungeon siege the video game yeah a video game which i have never played nor have i but i've played very few video games so that doesn't really say much i have played quite a few uh and never played this one and have no interest in doing it and if the game is anything like this movie i have no interest in ever even thinking about it <laughs> Uh, one thing I will say about Uwe Ball is he does seem to have a really good sense of humor and a few years ago he was getting terrible reviews for whatever his latest movie mm-hmm. was I think it was Postal and he said that um, the any of the reviewers who wanted to come down to the open day that they were having or the, the press day he would come down and they, he could box them like they could get into a ring with him and box them if they want to beat him up Verbally, they can get into a ring and beat them up physically. Right. And a load of the um, journalists were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, we'll totally do that. Ha, 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 Then they showed up and Uwe Ball had a boxing ring <laughs> and was sitting in the in the boxing <laughs> ring with boxing gloves on going, lads, if you want to talk shit about my movie, get in here and talk it with your fist. You know? Which I think is pretty, it, pretty hilarious. Like, Yeah. Doesn't make him a good director, though. No. In fact, in fact. Pretty shit. He's pretty, pretty shit. The other thing I will say about him, though, is that he clearly has decent connections because he managed to get a cast which, while I will not say they did a good job in this movie, <laughs> they have done a good job in other movies. That is true. Um, first of all, uh, the main character, um, a character whose name is Farmer, I... I'm not referring to him by his first name, which doesn't get revealed until near the end of the movie, um, which I'm going to save because I know it drives Sarah insane. Yeah, I have a thing about his name. Jason Statham plays, that's Jason Statham. uh, And he plays a character named Farmer. um, Because that's the name. It's just brilliant because that's what he does. Yep. He's a farmer. That's how names work. You just are called. No one actually bothers giving you a first name. You're just called by whatever you do. <laughs> and he's married to Solana, who's played by Claire Folani. Claire Folani, who I've never 
rated as an actress. And after having watched this, I think she might be physically the worst actress I've seen in any major type movie. Yeah. She is shocking. We will get into this more, but there were moments when her line delivery was so unconvincing that I genuinely thought that she was like a traitor in some way and was going to <laughs> yeah. do exactly the opposite of what she implied. And I was there, wrong. There was... She is supposed to be a, a, you know, good character who loves her husband, which is her main plot point. Yeah. Um Lani is an English actress. Um I think I'm almost certain she's an English actress. There are times in this where I felt like English was her fifth language and that she hadn't actually learned to read it. Yeah, though I will say, at least therefore being an English actress, she is able to pull off an English accent, and so that's good. There are people in this movie who have these extremely American like regional accents that I find so distracting. Would you like to name a Ron Perlman one of these people? Yep. So uh, yeah, Ron Perlman, who just, I'm Jewish. It's okay that I say this. Ron Perlman just sounds so American Jewish in this movie. And it's so distracting and so weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Ron Perlman. Yeah. He plays Norick's, uh, he plays Norick, who is a farmer's buddy. And so he's supposed to be a medieval peasant and is one of the least medieval people I've seen in my entire life, with the Mm -hmm. possible exception of our main villain in this movie, who is played by Ray Liotta, who just seems like he is Italian and in the mafia in New Jersey. And also Mm -hmm. like he's in Goodfellas, except that something has weird has happened to his face. His performance in this movie is so bad i mean like you t- people talk about oh he's he's cashing in a paycheck and normally when people are cashing in a paycheck they they just kind of are there like he he's chewing scenery he's it's so bad um i mean he's just weirdly then, overacting yeah it's just like it, what are you doing dude it's weird uh lily sobieski or sobieski how do you i pronounce it sobieski I would have pronounced it Sobieski, but uh, I have no idea. I'm pretty sure she is American. Uh, she She's definitely American. Based on the so, name, so I assume her background is Polish. Yeah. So let's just say Sobieski. Um, she plays Mariella. Um, and I, I remember, distinctly remember, after Eyes Wide Shut in particular, that she was going to be the next big thing actress-wise. Oh, I remember that and moment. That th- and there was a moment where it was like, Lily Sobieski or Sobieski is going to be it. And one, she looks like they're airbrushing her in this movie. It's so weird. It's so weird. It's it's like there's a, it's just like there's 10 different Instagram filters on her. If they're going to airbrush somebody, they should have been airbrushing Ray, Ray Liotta. Uh, well, we, we'll get to him in a second. Uh, <laughs> We'll get to his appearance in a minute and his connection to Lily in this movie, which was deeply unsettling. Um, but she's just, I, she's just kind of there, and she really is. And you've mentioned it in the notes later on. But she's trying to be Eowyn from Yeah, it's not Lord working. of the Rings, and it's just not working. Uh, we got Jonathan Rhys Davis, or as I like to call him, Gimli, and I'll always call him Gimli. Um, it took me an hour and a half. <laughs> 
<laughs> to realize I, that I, a skin white. <laughs> I have screenshotted the message Sarah sent me at this time because I might want to post that and point out that it is literally an hour and a half in this movie. We're like 10 minutes from the end. And I got a message from Sarah going, oh my God, is that Gimli? It is Gimli. I'm like, how did you not know it was Gimli? He's been in it from like the second scene. I'm not used to him being so tall, I guess. See, that's because you didn't watch Sliders and you've obviously never seen Indiana Jones. Because... Oh, wait, he's an Indiana Jones. Who is he an Indiana Jones? A movie I've definitely seen multiple times. Indiana Jones is the, he's, he's the tall bearded fellow. I can't remember his name. He wears a fez in one of them. That's who that is? That's who it is, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, I haven't seen that movie in a while, so I feel like I kind of have an excuse there. I will fully admit, I have seen the entirety of Lord of the Rings, the extended version, more times than I can count. Mm -hmm. And I will admit it's ridiculous that I did not recognize him as Gimli. Well, if you were talking about him being tall, you should have recognized him as an Ent as well. He's pretty tall as, as Treebeard. That's not the same. Yeah, Gimli. The same what? guy who plays Gimli plays Treebeard. Wait, how did yeah. I not know that? That's amazing. I don't know, but that's who it is. He plays, he plays Treebeard as well. Oh, shit. Mm, that's nice. That's weird. That's super yeah, weird. Probably, I hope he got the double pay. Um, yeah. We have He's Christiana a man, so he probably Loken. did. <laughs> Christiana Loken as Elora. She's a dryad. Um. And she is, for those of you who don't, if you, I mentioned Blood Rain a second ago, one of Uwe Ball's other movies. She plays Blood Rain in that. One of the oh, Blood, Rain's Blood a person? Rain movies. Yeah, I'm Blood Rain is, Blood uh, is a person. She's, she's a lady vampire who goes around killing vampires. Oh, um, and fun. it's also based on a game. Uh, and one of the Blood Rains has Meatloaf in it mm. as an actor, which I think is pretty funny. Um, she is also the Terminatrix, which is a horrible thing. In Terminator Three, but that is correct. She's the female Terminator. She's the female Terminator. So I did not know who she was. I'm pretty sure I've never actually seen her in anything else since Terminator Three is not one of the Terminator movies I've seen. But I looked her up because I was curious as to whether I had seen her before, and I came across the amazing bit of trivia that her real life father is named Merlin, which is awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I want to have a kid named Marilyn. I mean, you technically could. I mean, there's technically nothing stopping you. Yeah, well, just the fact that I don't want my kid getting beaten up every day. Well, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, some people make poor choices along those lines. That is true. Um, Matthew Lillard uh, from Scream and Scooby-Doo and other stuff is in it as Duke Fallow. Um, yeah. I also, I looked him up too. And so like... I feel like at least he's is he American? Uh, yeah, he's American. yeah. So like I would say about eighty percent of American actors, he has been on Law and Order, and he <laughs> specifically has been on Law and Order SVU, and he plays a character named Chet. And I don't yeah. think I have seen this episode, but I am just going to go right ahead and say right now, I am assuming Chet's going to turn out to be the rapist. Almost definitely, because he's a named actor who shows up, and he's named Chet. Yeah, like the combination um, of the two, zero chance he's not a rapist. Just to cover myself, maybe Matthew Lillard is also Canadian. Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of those Canadians sneak in and pretend they're American actors. Sometimes it's just like they don't say a boot enough. I'm, I'm yeah, sorry, that was like racist boot. against Canadians, I'm, probably. I'm, I'm looking at you, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> um, speaking of Ryan Reynolds, his dad is in this movie, Bert. 
Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds. Uh, I don't know if he's actually his dad. Let's just say he's not. <laughs> he's but probably he might be. not. Is he? Is he not? He could be. I don't think he is. I think we know that. I think he is. Let's just say it is. Sure. So Burt, Ryan Reynolds' dad, Burt, is in this movie as King Conrad. And he is... Uh, well, let's say the best to describe this. He's in that part of England that sounds like uh, he's from Arkansas. Um, yeah, that's he part. doesn't make any attempt to put on. I mean, no at Americans in this movie do. As I said, Ray Liotta sounds like he's in the New Jersey Mafia. He's pretty. It's pretty damn good. So, um, uh, Sarah's just made one last note at the end of this, which is like, this movie costs sixty million dollars. <laughs> sixty million people. There are so oh many people God. that could have been fed with the amount of money it took to produce this movie. And I don't usually dwell on that. You know, I think entertainment is inherently valuable and a thing that should be produced in society. I think maybe they probably should have fed like a few thousand people instead of making this movie. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, we can tell that Sarah, obviously, uh, I mean, Dr. Decker, obviously, uh, the bone Dr. Decker, um, obviously uh, shops in Whole Foods. Because 60 million is only going to feed a thousand people. I said a few thousand. (laughs) (laughs) And I shop at Kroger because I live in the Midwest now. Shout out to Kroger. Kroger. Um, And hopefully they're going to sponsor this episode. Kroger, where all your dreams come true. Um, I would also take a sponsorship from Murray's Cheese, which has an outlet in Kroger's. And I really appreciate all that cheese like a bit of cheese right uh so we're going to move on to our next section and since i just sang the kroger song <laughs> i made up which is almost definitely not did a train just go by yes there's nice. a train that's near my apartment and it is a freight train and people can't be on the train and it drives me insane that there really could be an amtrak that goes that's like stops directly near my apartment but there isn't that would be cool. It'd be great. But just like a runaway train, this podcast has to go on to our next segment. <laughs> where I'm gonna sing us into it and it's where we recap the movie. We're gonna I'm gonna try and run through this. Just for the record, everybody. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Bone Doctor Decker um has written seven pages of notes on this train. No, I've written nine of pages this. of notes. I am not counting the two pages that are just lyrics of the song from the end, Dr. Decker. It doesn't count. But nine pages of notes, basically, on this is the worst movie in history of the world. But we're in the first section where we recap, and it's called Enumerato. <laughs> and we should start. Sarah, what does this movie open with? This opens with the most upsetting sex scene I've seen in my entire goddamn life. Um, so this is a sex scene between Galleon, who is the villain of our movie, and Sereliota, and Mariella, played by Lily Sobieski. So immediately while I was watching this scene, and sorry, that's our regular guest, Carmen, joining in. Um, so immediately as I was watching this scene, I decided, you know, I'm going to look up the relative ages of Raleota and Lily Sobieski. And yep, he is old enough to be her father, not even stretching it. He's a solid 30 years older than her. 
that's actually larger than the age difference between myself and my own father. <laughs> so yeah. That's pretty bad. Yep. Um, I can just say that it's super weird because he looks like the he looks like the wrinkliest human being who ever got wrinkled. <laughs> okay, and so he is airbrushed. So also, okay, his I think we need to talk about his face. Oh my god. So you have to. <laughs> at some point, according to at least persistent rumors on the internet, <laughs> really and I got some maybe not amazing plastic surgery. And apparently it has been described as God, now I can't even remember. A la- looking like a lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I think he must have gotten some plastic surgery and his choices with regard to that were poor. Yeah, but in fairness, he's still a handsome man. I'm not going to judge him. Um, He's a better looking man than I am. Sarah, I don't know why you're being so mean to poor Realiata. I mean, it's good that you're getting work at your age. I I, I will say Goodfellas is legit an amazing movie. I love Realiata and Goodfellas. Wait, I you're hate saying he's a bit doughy too. Stop body shaming the man, Doctor. I'm just saying. I feel like he would have looked better without the weird plastic surgery. I'm I am embracing his natural appearance over. Okay, fair enough. His... Turn it back at me. Yeah. Lily Sabisky is airbrushed, and he is the wrinkliest human being who ever wrinkled, and um, it just looks so creepy. And there's a bit where they kiss, and he kind of sucks the life out of her. And Sarah has said that it's reminiscent of the Inca Mummy episode from Buffy. I think it's reminiscent of Rogue in the X-Men movies. Because mm. I'm certain Uwe Ball has seen the X-Men movies. I don't think he's watched Buffy. Because he, he might has, not. He might do something with female characters a little bit more than he does. Yeah. He also, um, I will say, he almost certainly has never seen 90 Day Fiancé. But there is a character on 90 Day Fiancé that I deeply believe is sucking the life the like physical youth out of her male partner. So <laughs> Oh my god. That sounds awesome. But he deserves I, I it. So watch the show. <laughs> oh, well, if as long as he deserves it. Right. So uh we then cut to the other uh main uh or sorry, the other main but the, the main, main actor in that movie, Jason. And uh he's in the field with his son, um his son who's basically just there for exposition. Um and they're that's the best to describe it is they're just farming because his name is Farmer. Yep. And even his son calls him dad and farmer at one point. And then he asks his mother, why does dad not have a name? Mm-hmm. Which is then the you, the reason that then his wife is able to tell us his entire life story, which is that, I guess, I don't know, somebody found him abandoned in a field when he was three and then the town adopted him as a whole and named him farmer as they put him to work, I guess. It, look, it's just <laughs> bad. The kid is bad. He's bad. Ron Perlman shows up and the interaction between them is bad. Then we get to meet Claire Forlani and I wish we could go back to Ron Perlman and Jason Statham <laughs> in the fields because she is, oh my God, one of the, it's it, right I feel like I'm coming down on the female actresses here, and I don't mean to, right? Lisa Sabisky looks very good. She's just not given a lot to work with, and she has to kiss Ray Liotta, who's like 7 million years old. Claire Falani is shockingly bad in this movie. Yeah, and I will say all the men in this movie, not all, but 
veteran, most of them are th- people that I have seen in other things and therefore know that they are capable of being good actors. They are not in this movie. No one is good in this no. movie. No one. Well, Jason Statham's. He's Jason, and he, you know, I, I kind of like. It. You don't you be bad mouthing my boy. I'm not bad mouthing him. I'm just saying <laughs> it, this is the worst Jason Statham appearance. I think we can agree on that at least. Mm, oh, uh, that maybe we can say like the bar is higher than for other people. Mm, that's true. That's but true. But this is so the damn worst charismatic. He's ever been. It is. It's probably the worst he's ever been. Um, but at no point when he says "I love you," do I think to himself, to myself, "Yeah, he's go- he's going to stab her," um, <laughs> which is what right. I think when Claire Forlani says "I love you," it it almost like. It's like she was, wasn't expecting to see it in the script because it comes across like, I love you. So this actually happened to me when I was uh, attempting to be in plays when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. That um, I had to do a romantic scene with some, I don't know, man I was, or boy that I was definitely not attracted to. And... Uh, I got a note from my director that I sounded much too sarcastic in all of our romantic scenes. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love you, you real iota looking son of a bitch. <laughs> then we cut to King Burt Reynolds. Um, we've learned that a new threat has risen to the kingdom. The kingdom is called Eb. E H B. That's a thing. It's so stupid. Um, And it's this group of humanoids uh, called the Krug. K-R-U-G. And they've got swords and stuff. And they're, you know, obviously sorcery has been involved. And later on, we're going to find that the oh-so-evil Galleon is involved. Um, Yeah. Also, I guess we're already... Yeah. Also, so at this point, we're definitely already starting to, you know, see the Krug. The Krug are just orcs. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, you say they're just orcs, but they're called the Krug. Yeah, no, they're just orcs. I'm pretty sure the costumes that the Krug are wearing are like dollar store orc costumes that they were selling right after the Lord of the Rings movies came out. And you have yeah. picked up a bunch of them and then used them in this movie. Yeah, but as we can both agree, it, it works really well. Um, so anyway, <laughs> we uh, we then cut back to um, uh, Claire Falani has gone shopping. Um, Jason Statham, uh, I believe, I believe he uh, lets her go shopping. As in, she goes, oh, "Do you want to come into the village with me?" And he's like, "No, no, I trust you to do it." And then there's a scene God. where. Ron Perl and Nasa, oh, it's good that you trust her to be able to do this on her own. As if like Like what? That's like the old like that's like one of like fifteen things that women in the Middle Ages were actually just allowed to do, which is like go into the town market and do the household shopping. Uh um so she goes in, she does her shopping, uh she gets to um she gets to go to visit her family. I imagine that's why Jason Statham didn't want to go. He's like, I don't want to hang out with my in laws, screw this shit. Um, they live in the weirdest looking wooden house type thing I've ever seen. So it totally looks like 
There are a bunch of buildings that I remember seeing when I went to Canada that are built by the Canadian First Peoples. And that's Jesus, totally what it looks really, like. You're really giving it to Canada in this episode. <laughs> no, and I actually think the building is kind of interesting looking and that the actual things built by the Canadian First Peoples are actually really, you know, cool and like really cool looking. Hmm. But they don't really belong in this medieval-esque movie and it really threw me off and distracted me mm. um at which point we find out that uh claire Ferlani's playing a modern feminist um because the men tried to take advantage of her because she's a woman yep and not because she's a terrible actress and when she said <laughs> i want seven uh cent teams for them they obviously assumed she was lying because she went i want seven cent themes for this because she can you're like you don't mean that but Um, then again men are about it no means no now sarah (laughs) uh, invoked it's okay sarah invoked the world's most handsome chris uh in our next description because her brother is being played by a dude who looks like a poor man's chris hemsworth or liam hemsworth as i like to call the poor man's chris hemsworth ouch yeah half a hemsworth He's half a hemisphere. He's not. He's not. He's not his brother. Um, and he's he's also a bad actor. So maybe it was good casting to cast him as Claire Falani's brother. Yeah, it's that bad acting runs in the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, while this is happening, the Krug stroke orcs. I'm just gonna call them orcs. Uh, yeah. Attack Jason Statham, and we find out that even though his name is Farmer, it should be badass battle warrior dude. Because he just rips them to pieces. With his boomerang, which is the weapon that he has. Because apparently also we're just in Australia. Sure. He has a boomerang. (laughs) I don't know why. Oh, God. I hope it's in the game that they play. Because why he has a boomerang makes no sense. It's got to be from the game. Uh, I don't think that excuses it. Uh, Himself and Ron Perelman work together. And they decide to go. And they're like, oh, my God. These Krug. Because they call them Krug. I'm not sure how they know they're Krug, but they refer to them as Krug at this point. Um, and they go, oh no, they're going to attack the village because they see smoke. So they decide to go in to save um, Claire Falani and there's the son, who I can't remember if he has a name. But as we're Zeb. about to find out in a couple of minutes. It's something like Zeb. It doesn't matter. Oh yeah, he's got the same name as the brother. So he's named after the brother. Oh, Oh, yeah, I missed so that. I have no idea what the brother's name is. He's Sebastian. Oh, God. So he's Seb and Sebastian. Um, so Ron Perlman and Sarah mentioned this about 10 times in as we were watching this. His accent is oh so American. He's just so American. And I mean, I'm an American. I presumably sound like an American. Mm. You know, it's it's fine. But... It really seems out of place and weird. It does. Um, so they run towards the village, and there's like a lot of orcs getting killed. It's pretty. It's pretty good. Like they're they're pretty good fighters. Um, then at this point, we find that Lily Sabisi's character is training to be Yowen or Eowyn, um, and she's fighting with Commander Tarish, who is the the head of the king's personal guard, and she's really good with swords because you know. 
She, of course she is. She's really good with swords. So yeah, of course we have like the, you know, woman who's good with swords, which is a weird trope in medieval movies when they want to pretend they're being feminist, even though they're not. And uh, I also did actually want to note at this point that um, uh, so the commander, Commander Tarish, is uh, an actor, I think his name is Brian White, who I don't particularly know, but uh, they did cast a black actor for this. Mm -hmm. So they're obviously going for colorblind casting, but given that they are making that choice, it bothers me that the only person of color in this movie is a pretty secondary character i would say i feel like if you're going for colorblind casting you could actually have had one of the more major characters be a person of color yeah and and uh sarah's not joking about this he's literally the only black person yeah. of any or anybody of any color other than white who's in the movie he's played by an actor whose name is white so maybe they cast him without without actually seeing what he looked like. He's Michael J. White's brother. So if you happen to know who Michael J. White is, he is Spawn in the 1996 movie. And he's also one of the guys who gets killed in Kill Bill Volume 2 by Bill. Great. That's really good. Um, he's also he's a talented actor. Yeah. I like him a lot. He's good friends with Mario Van Peebles. But anyway, that's beside the point. He did a lot of black exploitation movies and he, he is genuinely a talented actor. And I'm sure Brian is also a talented actor. Uh, he looks a bit like the guy from the old Spice Ads. Mm. Um, he's also far from the worst actor in this movie. Oh, he's not careful, <laughs> Annie. He's the worst actress in this movie. Um, we then find out, so she uh, can sword fight with him and their friends, and there's a little bit of, I'm, I'm sensing a little bit of sexual tension between them. There might be a little bit of sexual tension. Which is what I thought might happen, but then I also think that she might get together with Christiana Logan's dryad character. I'm in favor of that. Later on. I mean, yeah, Maybe so. if they ever had a conversation for longer than five minutes, this movie would pass the Bechdel test. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the weird thing about it is, they clearly do have a conversation. It's just off screen, right? They they have an on they have an off screen conversation, and they kind of like whisper to each other on screen. Yeah, and it's whisper while looking at uh, Jason Statham. Yeah. So, and the bachelor say, "We could do so much better than him. His name is Farmer, for fuck's sake." I like to think they're just saying, "Yes, all men." <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that would be fun. Um. Not all men. Anyway, no. uh, <laughs> Rayliotta is controlling the orc stroke Krug, and he's also got super big orc men, um, or Akai, let's call them, who yep. uh, are leading them. And there's like a bunch of them. Like I, I thought when Jason Statham killed the first one, that would be the one. But apparently there's a bunch of them. Yeah, and because um, Galleon is controlling them, he can just like pop around from one to another. And so you never really yeah. get rid of Galleon. He's like one of those whack-a-mole machines. But I want, if you're listening to this, right, I want you to just look up Jason Statham kills Galleon. All right. And the first time he kills him, the response from really Oda is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen on in a movie because he confronts Jason Statham Jason Statham avoids the big orc um, the giant pale orc with the one hand um, if we're going to rip off the, <laughs> the hobbit uh, yep. and kills him and then it just cuts to really Oda maniacally laughing <laughs> as smoke surrounds him and it is, it's like, 
like I, I can't do it justice, but I, I'm going to add it in here. I'm going to put in the quote. The maniacal right? laughter. Of of him, but it's like and it's so bizarre. Um, yeah, he's clearly a just ridiculously overacting, but also really leaning into the unhinged thing. Yeah. So Jason kills this big Krug and goes to try and save his wife, but then sees that the house is in fire, so. Because Galleon has taken control of another big Krug and has gone after the parents-in-law and the kid. There's no way for him to know that's where the parents-in-law and the kid are. Well, it's their, but, their, they have the only house that looks like it belongs in Canada. But so. it's, just, it's weird, it's weird <laughs> that he we knew this is, where, oh, this is where Jason Statham's kid's going to be. Because he's waiting for him because Statham then makes the decision to go save the kid instead of saving his wife. When he gets there... Um, he has to fight a bunch of Krug and the big Krug. Big Krug leaves, leaving Jason to fight with the other Krug. Chases the kid down into the bushes and kills him. Yep. And you know what? Good job, movie. You had the balls to kill off the kid. I mean, it's kind of obvious because uh, usually medieval dads get killed off really fast. But in this one, the main mm-hmm. character is the dad. So obviously that means the son's not going to make it. Yes. Uh, or the Claire wife, Fulani. actually. And... Weirdly yeah. good for the this movie we, for not killing her off in this moment. We we don't know. At this point, we're not supposed to know if she was killed or not. But we know she has it because they would clearly have shown that on screen. So she has been carted off by the Krug. Um, and I think it's because he wants to marry her. Oh, is that clear immediately? I thought that came up I don't, later. I know, I, I, I'm not sure if it's clear immediately, but it definitely shows up later on. He's decided. This I mean, is, he's this just a creep. He is a bit of a creep. Um, but at least Claire Falani is closer to him in age. Yeah, that's that's true. It'd be an improvement. Ugh. Hmm. Uh so <laughs> they decide that they're gonna go save her. Um but the king has showed up and he's like, Hey, yeah, the Krug are really bad. Um you should come and save us. And Jason Statham turns his back in the king and walks off. Um and at this point, Jonathan Rhys Davies is all like, oh, I don't know, I think I recognize this dude. This Jason Statham Farmer character seems like he's got something else about him. And um, Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. We don't know what's going to be going on. But uh, basically, happen? he should have been killed. What would happen? But um, Jason Statham walks off. He takes Norik, uh, Ron Perlman, and uh, foe Chris Hemsworth, and they go on a rescue mission. Um which involves uh, doing the big zip line across a bridge thing, that, or a, a broken bridge. The zip line breaks and they fall in. It's conservatively 120 meters they fall. Uh, but they're fine. They're fine at the end. Yep, just if you fall into water, you're totally fine. That's how it works. <laughs> it's just so weird. Um, then we cut the Burt Reynolds again. He's the king, and he's gone to check up on Duke Fallow, uh, Matthew Lillard, who's basically foncing around in his. Um, he's just kind of sit in, like I'm not even sure the best way to describe this. He's just kind of hanging around, drinking, and kind of whoring while the kingdom's getting overrun by these Krug. 
which is like the worst possible way to hide the fact that you're in on it. Right. But I guess the point this movie is making is that he's like, I guess, kind of a low functioning alcoholic. Mm. So yeah, I guess true. that explains it. Um. At this point, I we obviously, we know that Matthew Lillard's going to be in it because he says, uh, long live the king, <laughs> which is just like shorthand for this dude's evil as fuck. Yep. They're also just on the alcoholic thing. There's a point where he's literally about to have wine with breakfast and Burt Reynolds yeah. is like, are you joking? And he's like, uh, yep. And then just looks really <laughs> sad that he can't have his morning like, wine. <laughs> morning wine. It's almost brilliant. Um, uh, <laughs> Galleon and Muriela uh, have um, a chat where it turns out Muriela is magic. And at this point, I figured out that she was Merrick's kid. Um, I think it might have taken me a little longer. It was not that clear. It took me a while as well. I was like, is she, is she not the king's daughter? But no, she's not the king's daughter. She's just Merrick's kid, um, and yeah. she's he's she, she's been given drink uh, like something that Gaius from Maryland would have been happy to been feeding her. That has been suppressing her magic abilities all of this time. What a dick! <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should just acknowledge right now, actually, that since this episode book is going to come out a lot later, that. We are recording this during or the day after the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, and so I'm having a lot of feelings about men. Yeah, Sarah's having <laughs> a lot of feelings about men. I mean, sorry, Dr. Sarah is having a lot of feelings about men, and I'm going to be very careful not to annoy her because, and also in fairness, fuck Kavanaugh and anybody who supports him. Um, yep. But we cut from that scene, although... Uh, I'm not sure how this will work. That the scene where he has the morning wine is also the scene where the king gets poisoned. Yes. I guess the And Matthew yeah. Lillard gets poisoned. So I think it cuts to um the Stonebridge guys. Um and then back to him having the poison. Yeah, you're probably right. I can't remember exactly which order it comes in, but it's yeah, definitely we'll, around we'll here, right? <laughs> It's definitely around here. I, I didn't realize we got the wood scene. So there's a scene of um, faux Chris Hemsworth, Farmer, and Norik walking through the woods. And they get attacked by the trees and by some wood nymphs who are led by Christiana Loken, um, who basically just wear like really nice push-up bras made out of leaves. Yep. Uh, and then As they're like, you do. hey... Stop cutting down the trees. And Jason Statham says, we're just passing through. And then they say, okay, uh, go on your way. Go on your way then. It's like, well, why did you stop in the first place? They weren't cutting down trees. Also, the whole but, angry trees scene is definitely a ripoff of the actually multiple angry trees scenes they have in Lord of the Rings. See, people say this, right? And they're like angry tree scenes and it's a ripoff. But not many people know the dungeon siege, the game, who came out before Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings. <laughs> we definitely had video games in the 1940s. He, he ripped it off so bad. <laughs> From those classic 1940s video games. Yes, of course. Um, and Tolkien was just like, oh my God, this game is so good. I'm going to write a book version of it, but claim it for my own. It's basically fan fiction. And those trees are going to be so mean. <laughs> then we cut back to Galleon has poisoned the king 
Fallow also gets poisoned because he borrowed some uh, of the king's food. Um, and he runs out and he's like, you've killed me. And Galleon responds with like, don't be so melodramatic. Which is funny because and really Yoda is being extremely melodramatic in his acting. So melodramatic. His acting is so, so bad. Um, but he gives him the... Um, he gives uh, Fallow the antidote um, and says that you're going to be king now, which is weird because like, surely really Yoda would go after being the king. But that's what happens. And Fallow then leaves and takes a couple of legions with him, um, which yeah. I didn't understand at the time. It t- kind of explains at the end that they thought that um, Merrick had drugged the king. Right. But even then, like, surely they would have checked or asked. I think we've hinted at this a couple of times, but maybe we should just say it. The plot of this movie makes no sense, and it is extremely difficult to follow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. we are both intelligent people, and I think neither of us had the faintest idea what was going on about half the time. (laughs) It's just so bizarre. Um, And then we find out that uh, Jason Statham is also kind of magic because Galleon can't read his mind. Um, like in Twilight. Which is why. Like just like Twilight, <laughs> so he's basically he's basically Bella. Yeah. Um uh God, I why did I know her name? I shouldn't have been able to drag that up. Bella like, Bella Yeah, uh, I'm not gonna yeah. agree or disagree with you. I'm gonna <laughs> pretend like I don't know. Um so basically Jason Statham is Bella and uh, Galleon is Edward Cullen. Oh no! I <laughs> you um, added yourself as a Twilight fan. Oh god, yeah, I love them Twilight. Um, so, uh, God, I love it when vampires spark up. But they the sneak in to try and the kind that live in the did, Pacific Northwest because the sun won't make them glitter. <laughs> oh my god, it's just so bad. They could live in Ireland. Maybe there's a lot of glittering live vampires in living in Ireland. Just, there could be tons of people who are vampires. Yeah. And it would explain a lot, actually. Now that I think about it. Um, to my family, my former mother-in-law. Oh, <laughs> sick bird! Oh no, he didn't. I'm going to cut this out. <laughs> um, so, uh, Narek gets captured. Foe Chris Hemsworth gets captured. Jason escapes, obviously, because it's Jason. Obviously, him. Uh, and then, um. Narek has to tell Kerfalani. Um, <laughs> it's so good. It's so like, bad. Where's 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 Farmer? Oh, he's he's out there, he's alive. Where's Seb? And she looks over at full Chris Hemsworth and she's like, Is he with our parents? <laughs> and his response, I've got I've gotta put it in. It's just like a pause and then he goes, Yes. <laughs> like, oh my god, that's so tell someone her kid and parents are dead because they're so bad so and then bad. he goes they're they were all they're all dead and then she reacts with crying that is the fakest oh of fake crying i'm gonna try it now i'm gonna try it now <clears throat> no no <laughs> I think that's, you were that's more convincing than Claire Forlani that, is in this movie. I, 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 it was good. I, I, like, uh, I, it's almost like she's basically saying, yes. Yeah, it is. Muriela. Uh, so we then cut to Muriela, who's played by Lily Sabisky, and she is now completely against 
uh, galleon. This is not explained. Um, this is not explained. It's just suddenly she's not with them. This is when Sarah found out that she was the daughter of Merrick. Um, I think I'm almost certain this is where you came out of where this came Yeah, from. I think this is about when it was clear enough that I was like, oh, that's whose daughter she is. Because before, I think yeah. I was just mad. I think I thought she was the king's daughter. I'm like, if she's his daughter, why isn't she the heir? It's it's just such weirdness, right? Um, at, at this point, Jason Statham shows up. Uh, he's, he shows up and meets uh, Merrick again. Um, he also meets the king. And this is when Merrick reveals to everybody that, uh, or well, by to everybody, I mean to us watching, that Jason Statham is actually the king's son. Yeah. That came out of nowhere and was in no way justified by anything that has previously happened in this movie. And then Jason Statham responds with, I have no parents. He sprung uh, from the earth like a farming god. <laughs> <laughs> he farms better than anyone else. Those rutabagas look pretty damn good. Um, so Jason doesn't want to have anything to do with being king. Merrick convinces him to join and be the king, and they all go to war together, fighting against Fallow's um, armor, uh, f- 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 fighting against his legions and the Krug. Um, that's when we find out that Fallow has told everybody that people had killed the king and that he right. was the rightful ruler. And then the king kind of shows up. He's like, <laughs> actually, I'm here. And it's at this point where uh, the head of the legions swap sides and come over and join them. So it just becomes humans against Krug at this point. They're such cowards for, for switching to yeah. the side that they had I, always It's been on. so funny. Fallow shouting after them, you're such cowards! Like, <laughs> how, though? Weird. It's not like they were his people and then they switched sides because they thought they were going to lose. It was that they were the king's men and they were on his side because they thought he was the rightful king and then they realized he wasn't and they're like, yeah, no, we're not on board with this shit. Uh, Some things I like about this um, are, number one, Jason Statham doesn't need armor because, no, why would he? He's the best swordsman who ever sworded. Obviously. There are ninjas and and this is not this is not like Oh, there are people who are representing ninjas. These are like legit ninjas that come down in ninja uniforms and do ninja yep. stuff. Um, Jason Statham is running around killing people like some sort of god of war, which is pretty good. And climbing uh, on the heads some, of the orcs, which is kind which of is very funny. Running along the top of them, uh, some orcs set themselves on fire and shoot themselves out of a cannon. Literal um, cannon fodder. To to blow up, literal cannon fodder. Uh, Galleon is in the weird shadow realm and is laughing his ass off again. Um, uh, it's just there's a line here Sarah's written down which is this is where we pay for our virtues I don't know which what that doesn't means doesn't make any sense also when he says this line it's around this point we get a shot of his fortress that he's hanging out in it's just mm-hmm. Isengard he's just it's in Isengard it's definitely just Isengard it's Isengard um, and he's taken the hobbits there um, so Galleon is uh, bitching and he's like you have won nothing but time uh, and Sarah said this at the time and it never even occurred to me but like <laughs> it's one of those things in a movie where he just somehow says it and that's it it's you like, know they can't what? hear you right buddy <laughs> yeah uh, but anyway the king wins um, and uh, he's shot in the process but he wins so Fallow tries to run Muriela is waiting for him in the woods and it looks like they're going to have a sword fight Um she has been shown to be good with the sword, but Fallow, I think, is actually winning the sword fight. 
Right. Uh, so the wood nymphs show up and collect them in, uh, like they get the trees to catch them. Uh, Fallow was there with two other men, and they legit hang them, like hang them till they're dead. Good. Which is kind of a cool scene. <laughs> Like, in fairness, like, there's very few things that are cool in this scene, but they're, they're cool. Yeah. Um, Hashtag let them uh, die. Elora, yeah. So, Elora, who is Christiana Logan, um, they kind of whisper a little bit together and there's like a little bit of giggling. <laughs> and, um, yeah, uh, I, I kind of like to think that they got together. Although, I think it's lined up that she gets together with um, the, uh, the captain of the guard. Yeah. But, yeah. follow. Has wounded the king, um, who dies. He has a weird heart to heart with Jason, and he's named the king. Uh, but we get a f- sword fight between Fallow and the captain of the guard, who takes off his armor and has like a duel, um, between um the, himself and Fallow, and he's winning. Jason, the the captain of the guard, is, and just as he's about to kill him. We find out that the king has died, and that would mean Fallow would be the next in line. Except Jason Statham has accepted the king's uh, honor from him, and he kind of yeah. shows up and says, Hello. The whole thing is also ridiculous. It's basically just Jason and Merrick show up and are like, Hey, this guy is the king. He's the king's son. And everyone's just like, Sure. <laughs> Hey Sarah. Yes. When he find out that he's the king's oh, good son, God. what what is what is Jason Statham's character's name? His name is Camden, and so now he starts referring to himself as Camden Farmer, because apparently Camden. a town in New Jersey plus a profession is a name. Oh, do you want to know even something cooler? Mm-hmm. Camden is the town in London where Jason Statham is from. Oh, that's kind of nice. So he's. He's just named them off of where I'm from, yeah? Yeah. I'm from Camden. Oh, that's um, nice. Yeah. So I, I wonder if they're just like, pick a name, Jesse. He's like, Camden. <laughs> well, especially with all the Americans in this movie, I just thought New Jersey. And so I'm, you know, watching this and I'm like, oh, yes, Camden Farmer. Nice to meet you. I'm <laughs> Asbury Park lawyer. Uh, Galleon has a cool fight scene with um, Merrick. Um, which is basically the fight between Saruman and um, Gandalf from uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, where they're like throwing each other around and they've got swords in the air and all this sort of stuff. And it, like it's kind of cool, but it's creepy. Um, it's just like a, a complete ripoff. We then get uh, um, we get a scene where Galleon has. Uh, Solana and he puts his hand on her stomach and is like, I feel him in you. Ew. Which is disgusting. Yeah, uh, because she is pregnant with his with Jason's Jason's son. And I guess he has like a mm-hmm. weird thing that he can like feel the blood of kings. Yeah. And that's why he could read his mind disgusting. or something. And maybe that's why he wants actually that could be why he wants Solana because he yeah. needs to have the king's blood after that maybe he ah. felt no. that whole thing there's the, a lot about how the about how kingship works and about the relationship between the king and uh, the magus which is what Merrick is and yeah. what Galleon used to be that is like mm. heavily implied but really not properly explained because this movie is not very good and we didn't mention this but Norik and Fohemsworth were 
captured and they try to escape. And Norik basically allows himself to get killed so that the other ones can move 20 meters up further up a tunnel. It's, it's like World War One. It's just... It's it's one of the stupidest deaths I've ever it's seen ridiculous. in a movie. Like they could have just hidden in the shadows and waited for a bit. Yeah. But no, he he jumps out and ends up getting himself killed. And uh, Foe Hemsworth's like, "I'll never forget you." The two of you hated each other. That they, they had no happy relationship. It was relationship. so weird. There, there was, was actually no this really just a manufactured tension between them that it seems like came completely out of nowhere and existed solely for the purpose of them having this weird death scene reconciliation later but essentially mm-hmm. just nothing about the relationship makes any sense because yeah. nobody nothing wrote did. anything um, that made any sense Galleon kills Merrick and easily defeats Muriela um, who's showed up at this point with her magic um, I think he also does he knock out Elora? I think she comes with him too the dryad yes. lady or the, uh, the wood nymph so, but Solan and Jason are fighting him. Jason's just doing his flips and jumps around while he's getting attacked by bookcases. And he's kind of caught in like this weird thing where he's like, Galleon's created kind of like a black hole and he's letting stuff get sucked into it. Jason looks like he's about to get sucked into it, but he's not paying attention. And Solana comes up and stabs him in the back. Yeah. This, by the way, is also the point of the movie where I'm pretty sure somebody got high to write the rest of the dialogue. Um, so along with the weird kingship thing he starts to talk about how he I guess can only receive his full powers as a mage by serving a king and so then he declared himself the king of the Krug because I guess that works and so he goes now I serve a king who deserves my utmost devotion me me and Louise says it me and then he's like you have no idea how powerful madness can be there will be no word for madness. We will simply call it power. It is ridiculous. It's just, oh, it is, it's, some of the writing in this is the worst. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, he does dress well. He's got a really cool coat. Um, it's a nice leather duster. I, I'm feeling yeah, it. When Galleon dies, um, all the Krug just give up, just stop in the middle of the battle. I don't know how they know he's dead. Maybe because their leader ones have died as well. Well, I guess he was mind-controlling all of them to some extent because there's a whole thing at the beginning about how the Krug normally can't even manage to fight with swords. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it's that. Just, so. It's one of the worst things. That, oh, God. Like, this is the end of the movie. Thank farmer, God. I mean, Camden Farmer is there. He's happily reunited with his wife. They've forgotten about the fact that their child has died because they've got a new child. I also have completely um, forgotten about the fact that that child has died. At some point, they start talking about vengeance. So they're talking to Galleon. I'm like, vengeance for what? <laughs> because I completely <laughs> forgot about the dead kid from like an hour and a half ago. Uh, Jason says, I love you. And then she says, I love you. <laughs> um, and it's just against we're bad. And then we get like a um power metal Viking fantasy uh blind guardian song. Yeah. Um, I looked up all of the lyrics to this song because of course I looked up all of the lyrics to this song. Just hand me my harp. Nothing seems real. Alright, just hand me my harp. This night turns to myth. Nothing seems real, but soon you will feel. The world we live in is another skull's dream in the shadows. The song is really bad. Oh. 
<laughs> God, Decker, you read that like it's like it's something. Uh, hey, uh, there's one in my rhymes. Nobody knows the meaning behind the weaver's line. Well, nobody else but the Norns can see through the blazing fires of time and all the things we proceed as the child of the hollowed will speak to you now. See me in the shadows. See me in the shadows. Songs I will sing of tribes and kings. The Garion burn in the halls. It's, like, it's so... Nothing seems real. Oh, you soon will feel. It is... <laughs> I the melody oh. of the song. I don't... The song had a melody? I Not really, it, no. it sounds like new... It sounds like new metal, which means no <laughs> melodies. Um, the good thing about this is there's two sequels. Yep. There are two more movies. There are two more of this. But also, even better, I could watch this movie every day because a choice that I made in my life. I thought that I could rent this movie for like $2. Oh my god, Sarah, do you own this It turned movie? out I could not rent it for $2, but I could buy it for like $5. So I own a digital copy of this movie now. Oh my god, Sarah F. Decker. Dr. Sarah F. Decker. Bone Dr. Sarah F. Decker. <laughs> I... You own this. Yep. I own a copy of this movie. I watched it on Netflix. It was not available on Netflix in America. No, I think it was. I just <laughs> wanted to own it that bad. Ah, oh, guys, this movie is bad. It's really but bad. But we're going to move on to find out what it got right and what it got wrong. Spoiler alert: everything. In a section we like to call "Very So. Blind Guardian <laughs> they, they would love that except they'd be like <laughs> maybe we can get them to do our jingles oh man <laughs> I would kind of love it he's, he's got a really good voice Sarah what did they get right what did they get wrong so I found this segment more challenging than I usually do because I can't imagine why world building in this was so bad that honestly everything was just incredibly vague so it was hard to really put your finger on anything in particular that was true to the spirit of the middle ages or not mm -hmm. um so i struggled you mean the dark ages in this movie <laughs> <laughs> you're just gonna ignore when i say dark ages no, i hate it <laughs> <laughs> we don't call it the dark ages anymore it's not cool okay Okay. So I really struggled, but I came up with a couple of things this movie got right. Oh my god. So the first I just read <laughs> I just read the notes that Sarah, before Dr. Decker reveals this, I literally just read the notes and I cannot wait for this first point. So as you might recall, at the beginning of this movie, we see Jason Statham picking vegetables. And these vegetables are rutabagas. Oh my God. <laughs> so in an effort to find something specific about the world of this movie, I sat down and did research about rutabagas. And rutabagas are, in fact, an old world root vegetable. 
they seem to have originated in Scandinavia or Russia. And since the world of this movie seems vaguely Northern European, it could be kind of Scandinavian. Uh, that that tracks. I will give this movie that. Rutabagas. Actually technically better than Lord of the Rings, where they're eating potatoes, which are a New World food. Oh my god, Sarah. <laughs> See, I thought he was picking turnips. No, they say they're rutabagas. Yeah, yeah but I mean, like, <laughs> even if you said that, they just look like turnips to me. Full disclosure, I don't know what rutabagas look like, but they said rutabagas. Uh, rutabagas are, um, they're sometimes called Swedes over here, so they, they taste almost... Oh, like, wait, they're called like Swedes? Yeah. Swedes. Because they're from Sweden. Yeah, because they're from Sweden. Yeah. And they're basically slightly harder versions of turnips. Um, And just this, oh God, this is not something I've ever said out loud before. Um. Swedes are my favorite vegetable. Oh, I think they're unbelievable. But like, but you have to have them specifically in the Irish way, which is you boil it, you mash it, and then you fry it with lots of butter. Okay, and it's so good. It sounds kind of like it's a basic- latke. Yeah, well, yeah, it's gonna end up being like a potato, but it ne- it never gets a crust on it. It'll just always be soft. Interesting. So it's like fried, but it's it's really good. It does sound good. I'm I'm also gonna refer to that thing in the future as Irish latkes. Irish latkes, uh-huh. yeah. Perfect. <laughs> if you're ever over here again, Sarah, I'll get you some Irish Amazing. latkes, and I, it will change your world. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um. So other things that they got right. Uh, basically, there's one other thing, and I'm really stretching here to be honest. This movie has a lot of vaguely presented ideas about kingship. But the mm-hmm. one thing you get with some amount of clarity of this movie's theory of kingship is that the kings have some kind of special authority, which is linked maybe to a kind of divinely given authority or to magic, and that they have some kind of almost supernatural power by virtue of being kings. And this is a way of thinking about kingship in the Middle Ages, uh, in the medieval real context in particular, linked to um, divine authority, that you are king by the right of God or um, by divine authority, and that that actually means something. Yeah. Um, a lot of Turkish-era kings were referred to as kals, which means both king and god in in one of the languages from around there. I, can't, I remember reading this somewhere. I'll find out more specifically. But yeah, so the word Kal means both king and god. Hmm. And then um, like yeah, you're worshipped as like Kalel, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Only I didn't want to bring Kalel into this. He doesn't deserve to be here. <laughs> just, just this. He deserves better than being brought into a discussion of this movie. Hmm. And King Arthur was the saying that he was one with the land. And the land was the king. The king was land and the land was the king. I can't remember which version that's in. But if the the idea being that when King Arthur was in health, the land would be giving good, you know, bounty and plenty, and that in the days when he was sick, the vegetables and stuff would be dying as well. That really sucks for all the people who are going to starve to death when they have bad harvests. Yeah, it really, really sucked for the people when King Arthur got syphilis mm-hmm. 
because <laughs> everything is just tainted from then on out. Um, so what did they get wrong, Sarah? A lot. Um, <laughs> so again, it's almost hard to say exactly what they got wrong because everything is so vague. But uh, first of all, there is a really bizarre depiction of religion that about half the time they imply that they're worshipping one god, about half the time they imply that they're worshipping multiple gods, and no one seems to take any of them seriously. And mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. lack of taking religious ser religion seriously is an issue we brought up before in medieval movies. Uh, we also have a, a kind of half-hearted, at least, depiction of modern feminists hanging out in the Middle Ages. Although, weirdly, this movie manages to do that while still having a horrifically bad depiction of women. Mm. So, good but job, movie. We do pass the Sarah If Decker test. It does test. pass the If Decker test because there are actually three named female characters who survive this movie. It does not pass the Bechdel test, but it does pass no, the does lower bar of the If Decker test, which <laughs> many movies nevertheless do not pass. That's true. <laughs> um, and the final thing that I wanted to point out that I think this movie is a bit off on is that it seems a little weird in its concept in its concept of basically how lordship works so that you have Jason Statham and Norick and all of those people who are basically medieval peasants. If you're a medieval peasant, you're not actually being killed constantly, but you're not being just left alone either. There are going to be local lords around who are interested in exacting things from you, who are interested in getting you to work on their behalf. Um, who are going mm. to, you know, come by your house and maybe say, all right, I feel like you've got a lot of crops. I feel like maybe I could take some of those <laughs> crops. I could take 20% of those crops. Yeah. So uh, you're going to have some kind of visible present lordship, uh, which is certainly an extractive, uh, exploitative lordship, uh, which is sometimes a violent mm. lordship. These peasants seem to be basically completely left alone. And the king shows up every now and then, but they don't actually seem to respect the king at all, which is kind of an issue as well. Yeah. Um, so there's really no sense that there is a meaningful hierarchy in this society in a way that I find utterly bizarre. So are you saying that there would never be a point where somebody would shout at a Jason Statham style character, a farmer, if you will, and say, don't turn your back on the king? And Jason Statham type character, this farmer, could look over his shoulder and go, the king has turned his back on his people, and then walk off? Like, that wouldn't happen? I mean, it probably wouldn't happen, and if he did, he would find himself at the end of a noose really, really fast. Have you ever tried to put a noose around Jason Statham's neck? That dude will just break it off. That's, that's true, but, you know, but they don't even try. They really should have been trying to hang Jason Statham. That's true. Uh, the the captain of the guard, um, I think it's Marek, maybe. Tarish. Uh, or Barak. Tarish, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, he gets a bit pissed off at it, but he's angry at everything. Um, and then Merrick's like, no, just let him go. He seems special. Mm -hmm. All these people with magic um, can like feel that he is like a king. He's got that kingly blood in yeah. him. Yeah. He's got that king vibe. Which does lead us on to speaking of this movie and stuff that they may have got right or wrong. Sarah, I want you to tell me about 
what this movie has links to in the real historical sense in a section we call Historia et Veritas, which is history and truth. And my voice uh, semi broke there um, <laughs> because I can't even invest in singing into this bit because this movie is so bad, y'all. Um, but yeah, so what what can you tell us about the real, uh, the real high fantasy, if you will? So once again, I found this challenging because this movie has so little awareness of the real medieval world and so few efforts at world building. But that actually reminded me of not the real Middle Ages, but the real history of what us medieval historians refer to when we have our conferences where we talk about this as medievalism. So when we say medievalism, we're talking about the various ways in which modern people see the medieval world. So, you know, from the perspective of a medievalist, you would say this is a podcast that we're actually doing about medievalism. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that fantasy, that high sort of high fantasy epic stories like this one, um, have this essentially pseudo medieval tinge or cast to them has to do with the fact that basically they're all copying Lord of the Rings. So we've already addressed some of the very explicit ways in which this movie has just Lord, shit Lord of the Rings. Lord of Lord of the Rings, you say? El Señor del Anel. Is this Sorry. Is this a well-known a well-known movie? It is. Or book? It is. It is a well first a well-known book series and then subsequently a well-known movie series. Oh, is this the book series that that Tolkien person? Yes. Uh wrote based on a dungeon siege the video game so this is a book series that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote based on things he actually knew about the middle ages because famed fantasy author J.R.R. Tolkien is a medievalist he's on my team <laughs> he's a medieval literature scholar not a medieval historian but we're, we're still down to claim him oh that's pretty cool so he studied medieval, uh, in particular, Anglo-Saxon literature. Um, he wrote a Middle and Old English vocabulary book. Um, he's known for his translations of uh, the Pearl poem of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Um, and he did a translation of Beowulf, which was left unpublished during his lifetime and then published by his heirs in 2014 by his son. Um, but he was actually a pretty good and well-respected medievalist at the time. Um, he was a professor of Anglo-Saxon and of English literature at Oxford for most of his life. And uh, he wrote this article called Beowulf and Beowulf, the Monsters and the Critics. So it started as a lecture that he gave, um, which he gave in 1936. Hmm. And this lecture actually completely changed how scholars approach Beowulf. So uh, initially, many scholars came to Beowulf and said, basically, it's just this dumb childish story about monsters and doesn't really tell us much about the world that the author was existing in because it doesn't tell us about these real battles that actually happened. And then Tolkien gave this lecture where he said, actually, the best way to read Beowulf is to think about how all of these particular monsters that Beowulf is fighting and that the writer is talking about as being symbolic of real issues in medieval Anglo-Saxon society. Mm. 
And so this way of reading the monsters in Beowulf as actually being inherently meaningful is something that has had a real meaningful effect on scholarship of uh, old and middle English literature ever since. So yeah, so thanks to Tolkien, we actually read Beowulf completely differently. And so, you know, basically he was a medievalist, you know, he taught medieval um, Anglo-Saxon and middle English literature. And then basically as his side thing, he also wrote Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and The Silmarillion, etc. And so he very deliberately was placing this world in a kind of in a medieval-esque setting that he was looking at the material that he was actually doing research on and creating a world that was very deliberately inspired by that. And that's something that you can see in his development of languages. That's something that you can see in a number of the ways in which the different peoples of Middle Earth are presented, that he is very much creating this world as a medievalist. Mm. And because he then became so influential, almost everybody writing fantasy post-Tolkien has then gone back to Lord of the Rings in terms of how they uh, portray fantasy realms. And so that's why almost all fantasy is basically pseudo-medieval. And some of the people who then do this go back to medieval sources in various ways and use that as part of their world building. Um, so we'll talk about this at some point in the future, but this is definitely something that uh, George R. R. Martin actually does in Game of Thrones that he very much did research about the Middle Ages and thought about the medieval world when he was creating his own world. The people who are responsible for this movie did not do that at all. <laughs> um, instead, they basically just made pretty much a crappy version of Lord of the Rings that has no efforts whatsoever at real meaningful world building. But that's why this weird movie that is not very good in its deeply non-specific setting has a non-specific setting that is vaguely medieval. Yeah. Um, I never really thought about it before until you just mentioned it. But I, I mentioned the, the Wheel of Time earlier and uh, the Wheel of Time borrows a lot from Norse mythology. Yeah. And Norse symbolism. So that's... I'm sure so, an example of him in the, like going back to that medieval source material. Yeah. So, for example, there's a character named Matt who has a spear which can pierce through dimensions. Mm. He loses an eye, uh, just like Odin. He's represented and associated with ravens. And he's also known as the trickster, who would be Loki, mm -hmm. uh, Odin's adopted son. Yeah, wow. I never thought about that. That's um, really cool. Damn. I I will yeah. read Wheel of Time one day soon. Oh, yeah, I think you, you you probably wouldn't enjoy it, Sarah. It's it's too, it's just too good. You're a, a Lord of the Rings fan, a George R. R. Martin fan, so nobody gets raped and there are no elves. So I'm not sure if you're really gonna enjoy enjoy Wheel of Time. It's too pure and too good. Mm, I feel like Lord of the Rings is about as pure as you can get in terms of fantasy. It's it's got elves. <laughs> What's wrong with elves? Uh, I, I can't even have it with elves. I'm not even going to get okay. into it. I mean, elves are... Elves. The elves are fine. You know, I mean, I was always an Aragorn girl, personally, but... Elves are the worst. <laughs> oh, we're impossibly beautiful and impossibly skilled, but also we're dying out. 
I can see that. I had I had kind of mixed feelings about the elves. As I said, I was I was definitely on like the Aragorn train uh, when I got yeah. into Lord of the Rings. He seems like your type, actually, Aragorn. Mm. Hmm. I was going to say something really mean there, but I won't. Uh, and I'm going to cut out that part. <laughs> Sarah. That now is I'm really curious interesting. I genuinely what you're going to say. And you have to tell me later. No, no, no. It wasn't. It wasn't that mean. Um. Uh. So. <clears throat> yeah. So it's great to to think that Tolkien is then the father of modern fantasy and how it's all set in kind of a medieval set setting. Because I do know quite a bit of the stuff that I've read that would have been pre-Tolkien tends to have a more fantastical element mm-hmm. and tends to involve a lot more beasts. Yeah. Um, you know, or magic, you know, creatures coming in and attacking and lizard men and mm-hmm. stuff like this. Because that was that was very uh very popular in fantasy back in the uh in the eighteen hundreds. So it's nice, yeah, it's nice to think that then the more I was gonna say grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. Uh but like it's got dragons and elves and dwarves. So it's not exactly grounded grounded in reality, but like yeah, it does make perfect sense. But yeah. this leads us to our next section. Where we come up with a better version of a movie that might have the same name. Sarah, this is Fabula Nostra. And what is the movie that you would make based around the name in the name of the king? So I really took this title and then did something that has nothing to do whatsoever with this movie that we watched. I did something similar. Uh, like to an even greater extent than normal. So when I heard the title in the name of the king, I thought about the people who actually acted in the name of the king in a formal and legal capacity in the Middle Ages. Oh, my God. Did we create the same movie? Oh, God, I hope not. Or maybe I hope so. That would be kind of fun. But probably not, because as you will see, my movie is really embedded in specifically the history of the medieval crown of Aragon, which... Okay. <laughs> we didn't okay. make the same movie. So you might be familiar with the English word lieutenant. The word lieutenant yes. comes from the French word, or what basically just is an anglicized pronunciation of the French word lieutenant, which means holding the place of or holding the place. And mm-hmm. what this actually means originally is holding the place of the king, of actually acting with the authority of the king and acting as or in the name of the king. And so over the course of the medieval and the early modern period, there are a number of people who held this authority. And uh, so I happen to be a historian of uh, medieval Catalonia in particular, so uh, a region that was part of the kingdom of Aragon in the 13th, 14th, and 15th centuries, and part mm-hmm. of the 12th. Um, was, uh, was, Trist- was Tristan from there? Not in real life, but in the movie oh. Tristan and his old starring James Franco, he's Tristan of Aragon. Apparently he was. Um, <laughs> so he's from Spain, apparently. Who knew? Um, so in the medieval crown of Aragon, um, you have the same term, lieutenant. Uh, the Catalan is Yoctinent, which means exactly the same thing. Now I'm just showing off that I know Catalan. And yes. <laughs> I admit it. Whatever. <laughs> and uh, in the crown of Aragon, there were a number of moments in time when the person serving as the Yoctinent 
was a woman who was in particular the wife of the king. So mm. what I would like to make a movie about is about some of the women who during their lifetime got to serve as the yoktenents of the king, who actually literally acted in the name of the king. So I'm particularly interested in, uh, there's a woman named Maria de Luna, who was the wife of uh, King Marti I of Aragon, uh, sometimes known as uh, Marti uh, the Humane, I guess is the best translation. It's uh, Marti el Huma, and sometimes that gets translated as Marti the Human, which is sort of ridiculous, but I guess Humane <laughs> is the most accurate translation. Um, and basically the idea behind it is that he was kind of, I don't know, seemed vaguely empathetic. And so he, so she acted as her husband's regent on and off for about five years in the late 14th century and was generally recognized to be a more effective ruler than her husband ever was. And she's also somebody who plays an important role in trying to calm religious tensions in a period where those are very, very high. Um, uh, there are massacres of Jews in the Iberian Peninsula in 1391. And in the wake of that, there are a number of... Basically, basically, you see the mass conversion of Jews, so some literally by force, some simply because they just feel very insecure in their current environment. And it's in exactly this period that she's in charge. Uh, she's also in charge in a moment where we see the beginnings of Catalan peasants beginning to start to express in a very visible way their concerns about the extremely oppressive way in which they're treated. Had she actually succeeded in abolishing some of the customs she sought to abolish, we might not have had the very violent Catalan, uh, Catalan peasant revolts that we ended up having later in the mid, uh, mid to late 15th century. And also, fun fact, she was the niece of the Pope, or one of the Popes. Uh, this is a period of uh, the... Um, Oh my god, for some reason I just blinked on what is it actually the great, called? The great the great schism. schism. Yes, that obviously is what it was called. Uh, so this is a period of the Great Schism. And uh, during the Great Schism, there is a Pope in Rome and there is a Pope in Avignon in France. And uh, the reason the Crown of Aragon was one of the last kingdoms that supported the Pope in Avignon was because Maria de Luna was the niece of uh, Pope Benedict XIII, uh, a.k.a. Pedro de Luna. Um, so I think this would be a really fun movie that uh, reveals some of the realities of the political life of medieval women. I would really love the movie to incorporate uh, both uh, the character of Maria de Luna and her husband, uh, but also to maybe go back a little bit and look at her sister-in-law. So her sister-in-law, Violante, is a uh, French woman who, you know, marries her mm. brother who is, or sorry, her brother-in-law who was the king and then died without children. And so um, his brother, her husband, Marti, ended up becoming the king. Um, but uh, Juan, the previous, the sort of older son, was the king first. And um, his wife, Violante, was very much making efforts to kind of create this sort of French-style court. And she also at various points served as a yoktinenta, and I think it would be fun to think about the moments of both working together in conflict between these two women as they think about the different ways in which they want to rule this realm that they both have this connection to. Yeah. And who would you cast as the major players in your movie? So I would like real-life spouses Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem to play Maria de Luna and Marti I. 
Mm-hmm. Um, That's great casting. I think it'd be really fun since um, her sister-in-law, Violante, was a woman from France. I am going to have her be played by Marion Cotillard. And uh, our previous king, who uh, is going to get killed off, uh, sadly, relatively soon into our movie, is going to be played by Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, very good. And (laughs) I was trying to find an actor of a Mm -hmm. Spanish or Latino background to play. very Spanish. He is Latino. The person who I'm going to say. (laughs) To play Maria's uncle, the Pope, Pope Benedict the Thirteenth. <laughs> you needed a powerhouse acting performance. So, I decided that you know what, you know what the best thing is in the Star Wars prequels is <laughs> Jimmy Smith as Elder Statesman. Bail Organa. Senator Bail Organa. <laughs> so he is going to become Pope Benedict the Thirteenth. Oh my god. I would watch this movie <laughs> for that alone. I am very excited about this casting. That actually looks really good. I'm not too certain about Jimmy Smith, but the movie itself I sounds fascinating and interesting. And I would I would watch that. I definitely Thank you. Would. And Jimmy Smith's gonna be kind of a side character, I will say. He's not gonna carry the movie. He's gonna be the comic relief, obviously. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Let's cut to Jimmy Smith. <laughs> Yo! <laughs> Jimmy. Why is the Pope in Rome being such a dick? <laughs> <laughs> Have you met my daughter? <laughs> She's going to be a big deal someday. <laughs> She's adopted. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> oh, man. I would love if they did something like that. Um, so what is a movie that you would do? You you said we were maybe doing the exact same movie as, uh, as your movie about the medieval crown of Aragon. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to go completely different because I don't know anything about Dungeon Siege. I don't know anything about the entire history of this area it's it just seems that it's terrible world building so i couldn't take it out so i started thinking and for the last couple of days i've had irish history in my mind of about for some reason and i come up with the idea of doing one in the name of the king and this movie is about a person who was doing stuff in the name of the king at the beginning of his political career and then he turned into a tyrannical leader and ruler who was also a horrible, horrible, horrible bastard. And that guy's name is Oliver Cromwell. Yeah. So I would like to do a story about the Lord Protector, or I'm going to use this word and I very rarely use it, Almighty Cunt, Um, because he's British and he would appreciate it. And then I'd slap (laughs) him in the face. Oliver Cromwell. So it's a movie about the English plantations in Ireland. That would be the, the main crux. That would be the second half. But in the name of the king, would lead to the death of Charles the First. Uh-huh. Um, and I believe that that is what one of the things that they killed or shouted while beheading him was in the name of the Oh, king. really? That's fascinating. And, like, um, in, in their way of being incredibly ironic. And it was them disbanding the Those Puritans the are so and snarky. The idea, those Puritans were quite snarky. So the idea was that the Puritans were removing the monarchy. They all ended up getting dead. Or killed in the end. And uh, Cromwell was disinterred and hung. Mm-hmm. 
and then beaten as a dead body about 15 years after he died, which I think is hilarious. But maybe That's a great medieval tradition. Digging yeah, up and punishing corpses. So we can put it all into context of the script, yeah. right? So the idea is that it's Cromwell and how he was Lord Protector and he plotted against the king to have him killed. Um, and then about how he ran the Irish campaign, which he was so brutal and so harsh on and punitive on the Irish that led to him being named the first Lord Protector and basically ascending to the throne, despite the fact that he wasn't technically the king. Um, they had become a commonwealth, I think, at that point, right. and then a republic for the last five years of his reign. But, I mean, effectively, he was the... I mean, you can call him whatever he wants. He was the king in all but name, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm going to write it about. So our major players are going to be Charles I, who was the king that he ends up killing. Charles II comes along about 15 years later. Um, Cromwell himself. Elizabeth Bouchier, who is uh, Cromwell's wife. Um, she was much younger than him. and uh, Of course she was. She apparently was. Apparently she was uh, a lot of the driving force behind um, his character. Um, we have Henrietta, who was Charles I's wife. Um, John Bradshaw, who was technically the ruler of Ireland. Um, he was a British lord mm -hmm. and he, he spent about five minutes in Ireland, but he was technically Irish as far as I remember. Um, lord Grey um, and uh, Edward Whaley. And these, so with themselves in Cromwell, they were the head of the Puritans. Right. And they were the ones who basically signed the death warrant. Now, there was 20 other names on the death warrant for the king. But they were basically the ones who were the, the major figures in it. Mm, yeah. Right? So, as Charles I, I'm going to cast Jude Law. Oh, um, okay. Because I think he does make a good king, and uh, I think he's a good actor. I'm going to cast Kate Beckinsale as his wife. Henrietta was technically French, but I really want Kate Beckinsale to have a bit of yeah. acting work, because she just seems to be doing shitty movies for her husband, or ex-husband yeah. these days. Also, fun um, fact, the state that I grew up in is named after Henrietta. Oh, no way. I didn't Maryland know is actually, they called it after her name is Henrietta Maria, technically, and yeah. it's named for her. Oh, I yeah. do. That's awesome. That's really interesting. Uh, I'm going to cast as Cromwell. Now, little bit thing. Obviously, I'm Irish. In Ireland, Cromwell is basically the devil, right? Right. He's like the worst human being who ever did. He effectively killed half of our population, and then uh, due to his procedures when it came around to what British people call the famine and people who aren't aware of the history of it called the famine. There was never a famine in Ireland, everybody. Irish people just weren't allowed to eat anything other than potatoes. Literally one crop failed in a country which is maybe the most verdant and green garden type place in Europe. Uh, we were still providing food for the British during that entire time. We just weren't allowed to eat any of it. And if you did and you were recording it, they'd, put, they'd kill you, right? Yeah, so effectively, it was a genocide that was carried out against uh, the Irish people. But anyway, that was all the lead. That wasn't in Cromwell's time, but that was due to, you know, the, the prelates that he let, laid down. So he's evil to us. So I need to find an English actor who's approaching his 50s, who just oozes evil. Obviously. So uh, I'm casting Jason Isaacs. <gasps> yes! Because I was when you said Ooze is evil, that's just who I was hoping you were gonna say. It's who it's gonna be. So Jason Isaac is gonna play Cromwell, and he's gonna be married to Elizabeth, 
played by Kira Knightley um, because apparently she was a wagon and I don't like Kira Knightley so she's perfect casting for me. I feel like Kira Knightley just solidly playing like evil is something I really like to see. I also I don't really like, like Kira Knightley. <laughs> and she she she'd do a good Puritan. And yeah. I I like to think I like to think that even though they were Puritans, I bet they were up to like weird kinky stuff in the bed. And <laughs> Probably you can totally right. put that on screen too. Um, yeah. John Bradshaw, who was the Irish prelate, um, or I can't even remember it, uh, pro, pro, the probate maybe. Um, it's going to be played by Brendan Gleeson. He was an older man, um, and he was one of the driving forces as well. And Brendan Gleeson's an awesome actor, yeah. and he was technically Irish and thing. Lord Grey, I'm going to get because uh, he's one of the first ones to die. Um, is going to be played by Sean Bean. <laughs> um, Poor Sean Bean, of course. And then Edward Whaley, I'm going to get play to have, uh, or I'm going to have Tom Hollander play Ooh. Uh, Lord Whaley. And Lord Whaley was one of the main leaders in the Puritan Revolution. Um, so it wasn't technically a revolution. Well, like, yeah, they killed the king. That's, 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 that's as revolutionary as you get, it's I feel like, when you kill off the king. It's revolutionary, right? They just don't call it a, a revolution in England. I'm not sure why they've never called it. They call it an English civil war. Right. Um, but in reality, it, it was a revolution. Yeah. But they call it, they're always referred Maybe they to don't want to refer to themselves or don't want to associate themselves as Americans. And maybe they don't call it a revolution because it was overthrown 15 years later. Yeah. So it's like, eh, is it really a revolution? I'm not even sure if it was, I think it was only 10 years later. Let me see. Uh, no, yeah, it was longer. It was twenty years later. Uh, Charles the first was killed, assassin or assassinated, or whatever, um, beheaded in sixteen forty nine. Yeah, and then Charles the second was in in sixteen sixty. So that's twenty one yeah. years. Yeah. So like they were, so it would only lasted for twenty one years, but even then, like. Maybe that's why they don't refer to it as a revolution because it didn't stick. Right. And they got back to, you know what I mean? They got, they, it went back to, um, went back to thing. Yeah, well, actually, it's true. I never talked about that before. But that's what my movie about. So it's in the name of the king about how they betrayed the original king and then effectively elected, elected Ish. Uh, Cromwell to be the head of the king after he killed uh, half of Ireland. Yep. Sure was a jerk. Um, yeah, so I would definitely watch your movies. Here. I would definitely watch yours. And, that sounds uh, awesome. Yeah. And Cromwell definitely might work sucks. better as mine might work as a HBO miniseries. <laughs> it could be. It could uh, also be a really yeah. good HBO miniseries. Cromwell, by the way, weird thing. Some Jews are really into Cromwell because Cromwell actually started letting the Jews back into England, but in a very like self-serving. I think they'll help me make money way. So yeah, of course, because he's Cromwell. Yeah. And I also want to point out that his, I think he was the great nephew of Thomas Cromwell. Uh, Thomas yes. Cromwell was also not that good of a dude. No, but he's really interesting and Wolf Hall is an amazing book. Yeah, that's true. We will be um, we will be covering Wolf yes. Hall at some later stage in the podcast. Definitely. So we come to our last section, yes. Sarah. Um, after coming up with two better movies than this, definitely better movies than <laughs> this. Better movies. And we're going to get to the summation, where we're going to get to our SMRTU, where we give it a ranking out of five. Uh, one is normally the lowest, but 
we make an exception once where we can give a movie a less than one out of five score. Uh, I think we actually, if we said twice, maybe we can give a 0. 0.5 and a zero. And you've already given I've already your zero given out one to zero. King Arthur. Yes, I have. The Legend of the Sword. So, so what would you like to say now, Sarah If Decker? Doctor, Bone Doctor, Sarah If Decker. So, how do you want to rank this movie? This movie was garbage. I am definitely not saying this movie was not garbage. The acting is terrible. I could barely follow what was going on half the time because the plot makes no sense. The question of accuracy and inaccuracy was almost impossible because there is so little effort made in the direction of world building <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously nothing is medieval, but nothing is anything because everything is ridiculous. So I really don't have anything good to say about this movie. But I believe we agreed but... that we can only give a zero once or give below a one once. Once, yes. I have given my zero to King Arthur Legend of the Sword. You and can I take it back. Agree. No, so I believe we did agree that you could change that retroactively. So mm -hmm. now I'm in the position of having to compare... In the Name of the King, and King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. And what I'm going to ultimately come down on is that King Arthur, Legend of the Sword made me angrier <laughs> than this oh movie. Oh my god. Which is in part because King Arthur, Legend of the Sword hates women to an extent that is deeply upsetting. <laughs> it's weird. Um, it is weird how much it hates women. And that honestly is probably what ultimately does it for me. Whereas this movie, I'm certainly not going to say it does a good job of depicting female characters, but it demonstrates slightly less of a just pure hatred of women. So on those grounds, I stand by my worst possible rating of zero going to King Arthur Legend of the Sword. And therefore, I give this movie a one out of five. <laughs> I oh my god I can't oh guys I'm assuming nobody has seen this movie no one should see this movie I just want to reiterate that <laughs> don't watch I, this movie <laughs> unless we go out of our way to find a worse movie than this I cannot imagine there being a worse medieval set movie <laughs> I mean even stuff that is bad, I don't think would come after Levelis. I do think we are going to come across a worse movie. And I don't want the... No, do you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to give this a 0.5 out of 5. Oh. It's the only one I'm going to go less than 1. I may eventually go lower than this. And the only reason I'm giving this a 0.5 is Jason Statham is so goddamn charismatic. He is. That even when, even when he has to just be there he still brings it up above a zero because hey, you get to talk like jason statham sliding across a zip line uh using his belt and being completely and utterly nonplussed as he does it and it, there's just look on his face when he's doing this it looks like he's sitting on a chair it's just so funny to me and i, I love jason so i'm not going to give it a zero i'm going to give it a 0.5 it, this is so much worse <laughs> than king arthur legend of sword was 
And Legend of Sword was, I think I gave it a one because I knew this movie was coming up in our list and I couldn't, I didn't want to retroactively change it. But oh my God, is this movie bad, people? Do not watch it. Do not watch it under any circumstances. There, I think there's a super cut on YouTube of all of Ray Liotta's overacting <laughs> scenes and all of Claire Forlani's underacting oh, scenes. Oh, I'd maybe recommend watching that. Just maybe watch those. That would be that would be enough. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna that give this a no point five out of five. Sorry, Phil said I held it a lot. That was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard not to, to slip into a hammock and every now and then. But um, yeah, so I'm gonna give it no point five out of five. It's my lowest rating. I I do think we might have a worse movie coming up sometime. It's in the not future. impossible. Um yeah. And I remain open I, to the possibility of once again uh, I remain open to the possibility of revising my King Arthur Legend of the Sword rating. But I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Especially I right I think you may have changed your mind if it wasn't for the week that's in it. Yeah, that definitely did not help. <laughs> Sir, what movie, stroke TV series, stroke book are we going to cover next week? So next time we are going to be looking at a movie called The Physician. <gasps> the, the Physician. physician which I discovered because Netflix has realized that I now watch a lot of terrible medieval movies and therefore mm-hmm. recommended it to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is that. But also, fun fact, it is maybe the only medieval movie that has a real-life Jew in it. So, as a scholar of medieval Jewish history, that's kind of cool. I, yeah, I think, I think... There may be a surprise for you, uh, Sarah, when we watch this movie about how real life this Jew is. There but anyway, be. I'm not going to spoil it anymore. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it anymore. The Physician, it's on Netflix. Everyone watch it. Do you know what? It's actually a pretty good movie. It's not bad. It is much better than In the Name of the King. So if you're going to watch oh. one movie in the next week or so, choose that one over this one. I'm fairly certain getting diagnosed <laughs> with end-stage cancer is better than <laughs> <laughs> in the name of the king anyway, Sarah it's always a pleasure where can people find you on the internet always a pleasure recording with you as well and I will talk to you again in the next couple of weeks yeah uh, and I, oh yeah sorry before <laughs> that I you, sorry you cut out for a second <laughs> it's okay I was assuming why you were like because you were like that pause it was like what I said was it's always a pleasure recording you but where can people find you on the internet or how can people contact yep. us is what I said. <laughs> yeah, sorry. You got out for well, a here, second. We, we, can, we can always do it again. So I got this. Sarah, how can people get in contact with us if they want to rant about how you didn't give this a zero? <laughs> well, if you want to rant at us about how you think we're wrong, then we recommend you maybe just send us an email, um, which you can find us at media.evilpod at gmail.com. That's M-E-D-I-A dot E-V-A-L-P-O-D at gmail.com. And you can also contact us at Twitter on Twitter at, at media, media evil pod. We also, especially if you agreed with us on the rating of this movie and have been enjoying this podcast and really want to give us a five out of five rating, we would love for you to rate and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting platform that you enjoy that we are on that allows reviews. Excellent. Yes. I wanted to leave that pause there <laughs> so that we can actually cut that out and put it in at the end of every awesome. episode. Awesome. Yeah. So, so 
yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, the more reviews we get, the better. That's what we want. We want to have people telling us how amazing Absolutely. we are. Sarah, where can people find you on the internet? You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, and I guess technically also Facebook at Sarah Itch Decker. Um, you will probably see me yelling occasionally about politics. That is definitely something that uh, this week in real time has been me on Facebook yelling about. But also most of the time, you'll probably just see me posting about how my dog and cat who have made occasional appearances on this podcast are really adorable. So please follow me. Yeah, they're they're semi-adorable. You can also find her at uh, www.can'tbelieveshegave1out5to-this-movie.com. You can also find me on academia.edu because I am a professional medieval historian and have a PhD. (laughs) She's a professional <laughs> medieval historian who refuses to call it the Dark Ages for some and reason. And there you might find my CV with some references to my published articles, which you could access if you had a university login to things. If not, you probably can't. Why, why, what, what sort of showing off is this? <laughs> When is this? When is this crept I, into really our just podcast? Going for how women's title of doctor and their academic expertise should be respected this week. <laughs> well, it should be respected. It should be respected all the time. And Sarah's, I've read some of Sarah's articles, and even though I just like people with swords, I find them very interesting and very. In- I was going to say entertaining. I'm not sure if entertaining is very educational. <laughs> I suppose would be the best way. Um, Thank you. They have no swords in them. They don't have swords in, but they do have loads of interesting stories about women uh, and, you know, basically being cool and badass, which is, it's good yeah. to see. And it's good so to if read. you have access to um, academic articles and want to see more of me being an angry feminist, but in a more explicitly academic way, that's where you can find them. Sarah's, Sarah's only joking, obviously. She's not angry. Because if she was angry, she'd be ripping stuff down and giving one out of five to his- <laughs> <laughs> No, it's just that I'm angrier about King Arthur Legend of the Sword. <laughs> That's true, in fairness. King Arthur was pretty bad. But it did have David Beckham in it for a brief second. Uh, so, Ollie, no, where else can it. they find you on the internet? You can, <laughs> Being less you can find me hiding on the internet. Um, hiding as much as possible. Um, so that I don't accidentally say something to upset Sarah and have her get angry at me because <laughs> it's a scary sight. Um, you can also find me at my other podcast, Best Acquaintances. Uh, in Best Acquaintances, it's where myself and my friend Emily, we've never met in real life. And what we do is we interview people that we've never met in real life. So we basically give them a Skype call and start asking them questions about themselves. Now that I think about it, it sounds vaguely invasive. We do give people warning before we <laughs> ring them. Um, I like the idea of it just being just this like stealth podcast that you just Skype people out of nowhere and hope they answer and then start quizzing them about their lives. I've <laughs> almost been tempted to doing that, like just randomly just picking somebody and just sending off a message and going like, hey, we're about to give you a ring. Start chatting. Um, and some people would probably be really good at that, but uh, other people would not be. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. Every single episode, you're going to find something interesting about the person we talk to. And if you don't like the idea of just listening to somebody that you've never heard of before, just give it a try. Like People have interesting stories and people have 
interesting ideas and interesting stuff to talk about. For example, that's where myself and Sarah met and we're not good friends. So it's the kind of thing where you can make friends and acquaintances and stuff and it's got a nice group. So you can just search for best acquaintances. And it's, it's a lot. Absolutely. That was a great way for us to meet. And I've also listened to other people's episodes and realized I have cool connections with them too. So that's been really awesome. Excellent. Um, Sarah, it's an absolute pleasure recording with you every week and I'm looking forward to talking about movie next week which again strangely enjoyable better than you would have expected yeah, yeah. and also once again proves that christians are better than jews uh-huh. bye everybody <laughs> bye see you next time <laughs>